Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Previously On, a podcast series created to help you through some of the most complex yet brilliant television ever made. Peaky Blinders, Season 2. We begin where we left off at the station. We close Season 1 on the echoes of a single gunshot, and now it's time for answers. Inspector Campbell aims his pistol towards Grace, seemingly intent on killing the woman who broke his heart. However, we watch as Grace lifts her handbag and pulls the trigger on her own concealed gun. The bullet finds its target, and Campbell falls backwards. As he lies face up and clinging to life, Grace leaves the scene. We then jump forward two whole years. In Smallheath, Birmingham, two women push prams towards the garrison pub. They leave the prams at the door and quickly scarper, as behind them a huge explosion rocks the drinking hole. We cut to a funeral. Thomas talks over the grave of Freddie Thorne, killed by disease. He later walks with Ada, asking her if she might return to Birmingham. She's reluctant, but he states he has plans to expand the business into London and her life in the big city will become more dangerous. The Shelbys return to Smallheath to find the garrison a blackened shell following the blast. Polly finds confetti scattered throughout the pub and she and Thomas consider who might have planted the bomb. In a search for answers, Thomas visits the Black Lion pub. He's met by a young boy looking for the peaky blinder devil. Led to a tucked away warehouse, he enters and is patted down by two men before a sack is placed over his head. Sitting at a desk, he's met by an IRA woman named Irene O'Donnell. Thomas digs at her, and a man places a gun to his temple, asking for permission to kill him. However, Irene says no, and that his dedication to studying his enemies is why he's been chosen. Later that evening, Thomas meets with Sergeant Moss and tells him he needs an area around stables to be clear of police later that night. He hands the sergeant some cash. Before leaving, Moss reveals that Campbell is returning to the city. Bombshell dropped. Cut to a cane rapping upon a stone floor as, now a major, Campbell walks towards a screaming prisoner being held by a policeman in a dingy cell. The prison governor states the man has been made promises about being spared death if he keeps his mouth shut. He states he's working for Campbell, but the major refuses to acknowledge him and before leaving threatens the governor should anything be sent out of turn, he knows where he lives. At the boxing club, Arthur is training. We hear that a kid he was fighting was left in a very bad way. A Shelby family meeting is called. Before Thomas arrives, John stands and questions the logic of expanding to London. He announces the Shelby company has been making £150 a day, so why the need to change things? 
Thomas arrives and John's wife Esme states that she has family in London and the place holds huge danger due to gang warfare and a brutal police force. In response, he tells everyone that so long as they stick together, they'll be fine, but offers anyone who wants out the chance to walk. But no one leaves. Later, Polly and Thomas talk. Thomas reveals that as it's New Market Day, the time is perfect to show their hand in London, as all the bosses will be at the races. He explains that in the war between the Italian and Jewish gangs, the Jewish gangs need allies and can offer a foothold in the city. Thomas visits the prostitute Lizzie Stark. She reveals she's learning to type and also tells him just once she wishes he wouldn't pay so they could feel like ordinary people. Elsewhere, Polly visits a medium seeking information on her children who were taken years before. She's told her daughter has died and leaves distraught and screaming. A blacksmith is hammering at a horseshoe in a dark warehouse. As he grabs a drink, Thomas steps from the shadows and executes him. Later, Thomas picks up Arthur and John and they leave for London. Esme talks to Polly, asking her if she too is against the London plans. Esme informs Polly that the medium she visited is a fraud. Polly loses her temper, grabs Esme and holds a knife to her throat, stating that if she breathes a word of this, she'll cut her. On a toilet break, Thomas unveils the body of the blacksmith in the back of the car. The brothers grab shovels and bury him. In London, the boys pay an unwelcome visit to the Eden Club, run by Darby Sabini. Impressed by the glamour and debauchery, they quickly make their presence known, attracting attention from Italian gang members. Having been recognised, they're asked to leave, cue an almighty kick-off with broken glass, teeth and bones. As the dust settles, Thomas delivers a speech that they're in town to make new friends, not enemies, before leaving as abruptly as they entered. Campbell visits Churchill to discuss his plans to prepare Thomas for the bigger task after he completed Phase 1 successfully. He also adds he plans to see Thomas hanged once the job is complete. Back in Birmingham, said Thomas offers Lizzie a job as his secretary so she can turn her back on her former life. A furious Polly hands Thomas a note inviting him to a sit-down with the Jewish gangs. As he leaves, he's set upon by Sabini's men who beat him senseless and brutally slice his mouth and pull a gold tooth with a razor. At the same time, in London... Ada is attacked by more of Sabini's men. Just before Thomas is executed, police swarm the place and scatter the Italians. Campbell strolls over to the unconscious Thomas, telling the officers to check if he's still alive. Thomas is blooded, unconscious and on a stretcher entering a hospital building. Down in London, Ada is rescued from Sabini's men by a group of Peaky Blinders. She repays them by kicking one firmly in the nuts and declaring her name is not Shelby. At hospital, Thomas receives a visit from Campbell. He questions if Thomas is going to thank him for saving his life, then reveals he knows about him murdering the blacksmith. They briefly discuss the now-married Grace who lives in New York before Campbell breaks the news that everything that has happened to Thomas recently is part of a perfectly orchestrated plan to leave him dangling on Campbell's hook. Thomas is told he'll be sent instructions as he now belongs to the Major. After discharging himself from hospital and looking like the walking dead, Thomas makes his way to Charlie's yard. He hops on a barge manned by Curly and begins the slow journey to London. Four days later, he walks through Camden Town en route to a meeting with Alfie Solomons, played by Tom Hardy, leader of the Jewish gang. The pair sit and two very serious men talk business. Thomas places an offer on the table to join forces in a war against Sabini, but Alfie dismisses the idea. However, Thomas paints a true picture of the current state of play and offers a hundred armed men for the fight. Alfie draws a gun and sticks it in Thomas's face, but then pulls away and, after reaffirming his role as the perceived alpha male, asks for the plan of attack. Later, Thomas catches up with Ada. She's less than happy to see him and pulls a gun just to highlight how ready she is should Sabini's men try it again. 
He tells her he's bought her a house and hands over the keys. She agrees to have a look at that. Well, you would, wouldn't you? Sabini is visited by the police, but he immediately asserts his authority over them. They discuss Thomas's arrival and his meeting with Alfie Solomons. Tempers afraid and Sabini accuses the police of being in cahoots with the Peaky Blinders and throws them out and then demands his own man goes to follow Thomas. Polly's greeted by a birthday round of applause when entering the Shelby house. Thomas is there back from London and looking in much better health. They hop in a car and drive to a huge country house. When they get inside, Thomas breaks the news that that house is actually a gift for her. She questions it and says it's too big for her. Thomas brings her some more news. He said he's spoken to Esme and he's going to find her children. Later, Lizzie hands Thomas a letter from Grace and he dictates a letter of his own to Winston Churchill regarding the approach by Campbell. He highlights his glittering war record and requests an export licence. In London, Churchill agrees, much to Campbell's disappointment. Thomas pulls up at a house in the countryside and approaches a woman called Mrs Johnson and passes himself off as a council worker there to talk about her son Henry. He asks what her son knows about his real identity, and the lady realises he's not from the council after all. As the young Henry approaches, he's told his real name is Michael Gray and that his mum wants to talk to him. Thomas leaves his card with him. In the boxing club, things are going pretty badly, actually. A raging Arthur roars as he relentlessly punches a young fighter in blind fury until the boy is, well, dead. Finn tells Thomas that Arthur's been losing a lot lately, going mad and then crying afterwards. When he sees Arthur, Thomas says the kid probably had a weak heart, but Arthur is in a bad place, explaining how he can't stop himself when he loses control, blaming the war for his mental state and the trauma that haunts him. Thomas is pretty unsympathetic, and Arthur goes for him, slamming him into the mantelpiece and screaming. Thomas retaliates and forces him to look at himself in the mirror, empties the bullets from Arthur's gun, and then leaves. Campbell pulls up Sergeant Moss about the bribes he's been accepting from the Peakies. He informs Moss he's now back on the side of the Angels and he's going to work as a double agent. Thomas tells Polly he's found her son, but her daughter is indeed sadly dead. She's overcome with emotion, but is told it's up to Michael, or Henry, if he chooses to meet her. Polly pulls a gun and demands the address of her son. He refuses. She fires it into the air and storms out. Finn visits Arthur to take him to the reopening party at the garrison. He's reluctant to leave, but Finn has other ideas. He offers his brother a line of a drug he calls Tokyo. Suddenly energised, Arthur almost bounces himself off to the party. Inside, Polly is hitting the drink full throttle. Thomas burns the letter he received from Grace without even opening it. Ada's in town, and Thomas asks her to talk to Polly about the Michael situation. Polly, however, is in no mood to talk. Instead, she asks a man to dance, and then finishes the evening with a drunken one-night stand. A dishevelled Polly does the walk of shame the morning after, and is greeted on her doorstep by a young man. He asks for Elizabeth Gray, stating he thinks she might be his mother. There's been another death. This time an Irishman is garroted on the streets of Birmingham, the latest casualty in an ongoing war between Irish gangs. A recruitment drive is underway at the garrison as Thomas, Arthur and John seek new men to bolster the ranks. We see a young man calling himself the Digbooth Kid after his hero, Billy the Kid. The brothers mock him for watching too many films. He even carries a wooden pistol in a holster. But when they hear the young man hasn't got a criminal record, they decide to hire him. Elsewhere, Polly and Michael begin to lay the first blocks in a new mother-son relationship. Polly worries that she's not good enough for him, but Michael reassures her. Arthur and John burst in, fooling around with guns, before Thomas introduces them to Michael in a warm reunion. Later on, Thomas meets Corporal Billy Kitchen, an old war buddy he hopes will lead a brigade of 100 men. 
They shake hands on an alliance between the black country boys and the Brummies and the belief that London is theirs for the taking. Michael catches Thomas at the garrison. He hopes to use the telephone to call his adoptive mother to tell her where he is. Thomas tries to get him to tell her he's coming home, but Michael insists that he wants to stay. It's recommended he calls his mother, head home and write to Polly to let her know he'll return in a few weeks when he's 18. Michael insists again. Thomas questions whether he knows what it is the Shelbys do and that people end up getting hurt. Michael, however, says if he spends one more day in the boring village he grew up in, he'll blow the place up. Impressed, Thomas declares he's definitely Polly's son. The reinforced Peaky Blinders crew arrive in Camden Town via the barge, led by big, loud, ginger-hard-case Billy Kitchen. They make their way to Alfie Solomon's place, a bootleg distillery parading as a legitimate warehouse bakery. Each man gets enrolled as a baker. Billy Kitchen steps forward, describing himself as head baker. Thomas explains the situation, which is that the Camden police are with them, but north and south of there, they've got to show their papers. A man cracks a joke. Alfie steps forward and punches a different man to the ground, then tells the joker the unconscious man will remember it was his fault. He lays down the law in no uncertain terms to the men confirming, if it was in any doubt, just who the boss is. Thomas goes to visit Ada. She pulls a gun as he lets himself in, then takes the key she didn't even know he had from him. He tells her he needs someone to find decent property in London to rent to the men. She's not too keen to help because of the conditions those men will be kept in and tells him the house is watched by police and gangsters, but Thomas replies that they're there to keep her safe. Polly and Michael continue to bond. She takes him to her new impressive home with plans to stay the week and carry on the bonding process. Meanwhile at the garrison, Arthur is up to his nostrils in the drug Tokyo, snorting a line as he prepares to open the pub. A woman enters and pulls a gun on him. It's the mother of the boy he killed at the boxing club, Mrs Ross, and she's there for revenge. He demands that she shoots him in the head because that's where the trouble is, shouting at her to pull the trigger. She shakes, but she can't do it. He offers her a drink, but she suddenly fires, hitting a mirror behind the bar. Arthur unarms the woman and sits with her. He offers compensation in the form of cash and work for her other sons, but she screams and topples the table, declaring somebody has to stop them before she leaves distraught. Thomas meets Campbell at his digs. He mocks the fact that the Major's been put up in a hostel run by a former prostitute and brothel owner, digging that it may be a joke on the part of his police colleagues. The Digworth kid, a.k.a. Harold Hancocks, is arrested, guided through the booking-in process by a surprisingly considerate Sergeant Moss. Sabini is told that getting to Thomas is tricky, as he's surrounded by an army. However, the recent arrest of one of his men, the Digbeth kid, is highlighted as a prime opportunity to send a message. Sabini suspects recent races have been fixed by the Shelbys. His man asks what to do with the kid in custody, but Sabini's paranoia bubbles up. He grabs his man by the throat, questioning why he wants to have him give that order out loud, suggesting he's been got to. Struggling to breathe, the man states himself that they'll kill the Hancock's kid. Back at his digs, Campbell tells the landlady to take off her clothes as a means to determine the truth of Thomas's words. She begins to undress, but he stops her, demanding she tell the police he knows, and when his judgment comes, it will be him who's laughing. The Digbeth kid sits in his half-lit stone-walled cell. Two men burst in. One grabs him, the other threatens his cellmate, stating if anyone asks, he tells him this is what happens to blinders who enter the prison by orders of Sabini. The Digbeth kid pleads with them that he isn't a blinder, but they slit his throat. Thomas calls a meeting, vowing revenge for the murder of the Digbeth kid. The plan is to get a couple more boys arrested and sent into the prison to find the killers and deliver sweet, sweet justice. It's also announced that the blinders are to buy a racehorse from an auction as a means to gain access to the races dominated by Sabini. 
Michael enters and declares he wants to go to the auction with them, but in her own especially blunt way, Polly says no. However, it's auction day and Polly has had a change of heart. Michael is to go. Once there, the boys catch the eye of upper-class horse trainer May Carrollton, a woman with a taste for bad boys, and seemingly Thomas Shelby in particular. She bids against him, locking eye contact as she does. Thomas wins the horse, though, and afterwards May stops him and presents herself as a possible trainer for it. As the blinders make to leave, they're ambushed by Sabini men. Gunshots ring out across the empty auction ring. The blinders kill the attackers, and in another fit of blind rage, Arthur practically beats a man to death with his bare hands, then bites a chunk from his neck before being restrained by his friends. When he loses it, he really loses it. Thomas tells Michael he didn't see anything, but cool as a cucumber, Michael says he wants to drive the car for them. When they get home, Michael plays down the day with Polly, whilst inside he's brimming with excitement at this thrilling new life. As the boys wind down from the day, Thomas pulls the card of May Carrollton from his pocket and considers it in deep thought. We're in a grim place. The weeping mother places Harold, the Digbeth kid, Hancock's wooden pistol and holster on his gravestone. Thomas approaches and is met by the full weight of grief as the woman slaps and hits him. He leaves behind an envelope of cash for her. Later, Thomas meets Campbell. He's led to a room where Irene O'Donnell is seated alongside Donal Henry and realises with obvious concern Campbell and the IRA have been working together. Thomas digs at Irene about working for the King. With tensions high, a new assassination target is presented to Thomas, Field Marshal Henry Russell. Campbell offers immunity after the act is completed, but no help in carrying out the hit. Thomas refuses and walks away. However, when Campbell follows states that Donal Henry is a spy, and if Campbell deals with that, then they might have a deal. Down in London, Arthur pays off the police and storms Sabina's Eden Club with a group of blinders. They tear the place to shreds, delivering violence and bloodshed on the dance floor. An increasingly out-of-control Arthur slices up a man called Mario's face with a broken glass and then announces the club is now under new management by order of the Peaky Blinders. Arthur then celebrates by indulging his taste for both prostitutes and drugs. Back in Birmingham, the body of Donal Henry turns up in a coal pile. As Thomas contemplates the assassination he's to carry out, he's visited by a potential candidate for the role of clerk, namely Michael. Thomas is reluctant and tells him to phone Polly first. Esme opens the Shelby home door to May Carlton. She tells Esme she's to train Thomas's horse for Epsom. Thomas arrives and shows her around the gambling den as she's never seen one before. Outside, Thomas brings the horse to her and while they wait for transport, he takes May to the garrison for a drink. Over a glass of gin, he asks her if she wants to have sex with him. She informs him she's there for the horse and the cash and nothing else. They raise a toast to the derby. She then reveals she's done her homework on him and that he isn't on any register, but that he does have a distinguished war record. Before she goes, Thomas tells her the horse is named Grace's Secret. Later, Polly and Thomas clash over the job for Michael. They eventually reach a compromise. Thomas pays Michael a higher wage but keeps him away from the old side of the business and puts him in place at the beginning of the new, more legitimate one. Michael's birthday gets celebrated in the garrison. Thomas presents him with a gold pocket watch so he's never late for work and he's toasted into the family business. The next day, Thomas pours whiskey for Arthur and John then explains the drink is to be sent overseas to America where prohibition is in effect and rich folk pay big money for quality booze. He adds that thanks to the export licence, the shipments won't even be searched. Down south, while looking over the books, Thomas notices the business has made £600 from olive sales. He questions Arthur, who stumbles over the answer. Never the fool, Thomas explains they don't sell cocaine direct, they just take a cut. 
He then asks how much of the 600 came from Arthur's own pocket, adding that if he doesn't straighten up, John will take his place in London. Parking outside a posh London house, Thomas gets approached by a policeman telling him he can't park there and has to move. Pretending he's lost, Thomas starts the engine, then glancing at his pocket watch, realises it only took 23 seconds for the officer to approach him. Thomas's next stop is Ada's. The door's opened by a man named James who rents a room for her. Frosty at first, Thomas lines up when he hears James is a gay writer with no sexual interest in his sister. He tells Ada that because he's got no children, he set up a trust fund to benefit John's kids and Ada's son, Carl. In the event of his death, they'll be set up for life, but he requires Ada's signature. Elsewhere in London, Alfie and Sabini meet. Sabini questions whether Alfie knew about the blinders taking various areas of the city. The meeting's tense and tempers flare. However, Sabini seeks a truth and a fresh alliance. Alfie agrees and the two gangs prepare to wage war on the Peaky Blinders. Thomas pays a surprise visit to May Carleton's home, an impressive country mansion. He gets a progress report on his racehorse. The pair openly flirt with one another, with May suggesting many guests stay the night, a suggestion Thomas seems keen to experience. She reveals she's lived alone since the death of her husband. He asks for a map of the house so he can find his way to her room at midnight. Michael and Aisha, another young member of the Blinders, talk about hitting the town to find women. They hit the Marquis of Lawn Pub and are approached by a man named Paddy who looks to Aisha and says he doesn't drink with blacks. A fight breaks out. Michael and Aisha give it as good as they get, but when Paddy holds a glass to Michael, the barman tells him he's Polly's son and the fighting instantly stops. Later, when Arthur and John hear about the fight, they head to the pub and burn it to the ground with the barman still inside. And Michael gets a first glimpse of the power his family have in the city. Out in the countryside, it seems May did indeed have a map, because she and Thomas get physical. It must be the country air. Thomas is back in Birmingham meeting with Campbell. He's told that the date for the assassination is in three weeks' time. Thomas reminds Campbell that if he's killed, he's made arrangements for Campbell to die as well. When he gets back to his office, Thomas makes a call to the Ritz Hotel in London. An American man picks up. Thomas stays silent and then hangs up. We see Grace ask the man who called, but he tells her the line cut off. Alfie Solomons leads a goat through his warehouse. Elsewhere, Sabini sits to eat with members of the police force and Campbell gets jiggy with his former prostitute landlady. Back in the warehouse, Alfie welcomes Arthur and Billy Kitchen. They sit to break bread. As a large metal door shuts, Billy becomes anxious, but Arthur settles him. Alfie delivers a speech about the persecution of his people, explaining about a ritual sacrifice of a goat that must be done in order to defeat their enemies. Billy's tense, but Arthur's oblivious to any threat. And as the goat's throat is slit, Alfie declares they name the sacrificial beast Tommy Shelby. At that moment, Billy's shot in the head and killed, Arthur's grabbed, tied to a post and beaten by Alfie. Elsewhere, Sabini's men retake the Eden Club whilst up in Birmingham and police storm Polly's home as she sits to eat with Michael. Sabini leaves a message for Thomas that whoever comes south shall return back north in pieces. In the warehouse, Alfie opens the door to police and delivers details that Arthur came in armed and murdered Billy. The officers drag an unconscious Arthur away. Meanwhile, in Birmingham, Michael too is escorted away by the police as Polly fights. Campbell restrains her and breaks the news that Thomas Shelby is finished. Returning from the country home of May Carlton, a furious Thomas meets Campbell in church. He questions the deal they had and the promise of protection. Campbell calmly explains that they arrested Arthur and Michael to provide extra motivation for Thomas in carrying out the assassination. 
We hear that Michael was arrested for the arson at the Marquis pub. Campbell adds that knowing Thomas is unafraid to die meant he needed extra assurances, and then breaks that he also knows Ada's address in London. A short time later, Thomas receives a call from Grace, and they arrange to meet. At a Shelby family meeting, John delivers the news of the Peaky Blinders' losses both in men and money, and that the Eden Club and the other pubs are back in the hands of Sabini and Solomons. Esme says she's spoken to Johnny Dogs about getting additional men from the Lee clan. Thomas takes her up on the offer. A furious Polly says she's going to take Michael away from the family if he ever gets out of prison. Taking matters into her own hands, Polly visits Campbell at his office. He tells her Michael could be free at dawn the next day, but in return for signing the forms, he needs a sexual favour from Polly. With her son in her heart and no room to manoeuvre, Polly agrees. The next morning, Michael's released to Polly. He's been told why he's a free man and treats Polly with cold contempt. At Charlie's yard, Thomas tells Curly he needs six cans of petrol to be loaded into the back of his car. Grace lies to her husband, Clive McMillan, that she's going to see her auntie, and she meets Thomas at his home. An initially cold reunion warms when Thomas declares he only acted that way to quickly discover how Grace was doing in life. The pair then head out. Thomas introduces her to Charlie Chaplin in person at a swanky drinking den, and she's suitably impressed. Later, Thomas calls Campbell to inform him he's about to sleep with Grace. The two then rekindle old passions. Afterwards, he asks to see her again, wanting her to come clean to her husband about him. A shackled Arthur's led along a prison corridor and out into a courtyard where John waits for him. John tells him he will not hang and that things are in motion to free his brother. Later, John posts a letter bomb through the door of the Field Marshal Henry Russell after Johnny Dogs distracts the police on guard duty. The blast rips through the house. Thomas visits May to tell her he won't be sleeping with her again because he still loves Grace. She has trouble letting go and kisses him. Campbell stops by Thomas's office in the wake of the bomb at the Field Marshal's home. Thomas explains that the original plan for the assassination has changed now that the location is in pieces. He declares it's now going to take place where it'll be impossible for Campbell and his men to have him killed after the deed is done, namely Epsom on Derby Day. It's Derby Day at Epsom Races. Thomas pens a letter to the editor of the New York Times regarding the upcoming assassination, declaring his family innocent of any involvement. He adds that he's working for the Crown, who he believes intend to kill him once the mission is complete, and names Campbell as the man responsible. He hands the letter to Ada with orders to post it should anything happen to him. As Thomas prepares to leave, Ada's housemate, James, joins him, much to Ada's concern. In prison, Arthur's informed he's being released as all witnesses have withdrawn statements against him. In Camden Town, Thomas meets Alfie at his distillery. James waits outside. As he's led through the warehouse, Thomas stops to tie his shoelaces near some barrels. Arthur leaves jail and is picked up by Johnny Dogs, who informs him he's got to make a phone call. At Alfie's desk, the phone rings and Thomas answers. It's Arthur breaking the news he's a free man. Alfie then asks what a he gets in return. He's presented with the export licence the Peaky Blinders were granted by Churchill. Unhappy with only 20% of the take, Alfie passes Thomas a fresh contract that hands him 100% of all the Peaky Blinders' businesses, declaring it non-negotiable. Thomas then plays his ace. He mentions he has an associate waiting at the door, a.k.a. James, and that his man is an anarchist. He then mentions he stopped to tie his lace, a fact confirmed by Alfie's man, and whilst doing so, placed a hand grenade under one of the barrels with a wire trip. He states that if he doesn't walk out of the door on the stroke of seven, the grenade is triggered by the associate, and thanks to some highly combustible rum, everyone's going to get blown to hell. Obviously unsettled, Alfie places a gun into the hand of his man with orders to go outside and kill the associate. 
Thomas mentions that anyone but him walking through the door, and boom. Alfie seems to call his bluff, but is reminded that Thomas blew up his own pub and makes a sudden U-turn, offering new terms of 65%. No deal. Alfie's man panics and is slapped by the boss and then sent to sit in the corner. Alfie backtracks again and suggests 45%, eventually settling on 35 and not being blown up. Thomas then leaves with James in tow. Back in Birmingham, Polly places a huge wad of cash in front of Michael, telling him to leave and start a new life in London. Elsewhere, in a quiet countryside location, Campbell meets men of the Ulster Volunteer Force, ordering them to kill Thomas once the assassination has been carried out. En route to Epsom, Thomas lays out the plans to his men. He explains he's going to create a diversion to occupy the police while they take over Sabini's racetrack licences. Arthur questions the diversion, but is told to trust his brother. In the Epsom stables, Thomas meets with May. They kiss, and he tells her whatever happens today, it was good, adding he'll find her later. But his tone really worries her. We see Sabini arrive, and we also see Field Marshal Henry Russell enjoying a drink in uniform. When he leaves, Thomas follows. As Thomas continues to stalk his target, he's surprised by the arrival of Grace. She breaks the news that she's pregnant with his child. He states he has to make her husband believe it is his and frantically tells her he has things to do and will see her afterwards. She declares her love for him and they arrange to meet once the race is run. Lizzie meets with Thomas and he beckons her to follow him and her belief that she's there to work as his secretary crumbles when she's told her job is to distract the field marshal and take him somewhere private. She's rightly angry but agrees on the basis that Thomas gets to her before things get physical. Outside, the blinder crew get themselves into position to strike at Sabini's men. Inside, Lizzie attracts the attention of the field marshal and makes her move. An announcement that the derby's due to start clears the bar, leaving only Thomas and Campbell behind. Campbell wonders if an element of respect might be growing between them, but then quashes the idea. Thomas reveals Grace told him she loves him, and all Campbell got was a bullet in a cane. Then, before he leaves, adds that he knows what he did to Polly, and that by the end of the day one of them will be dead and waking up in hell tomorrow. Lizzie's in the stables with the field marshal. He begins to place his hands on her and demands she undress. When she resists, he gets aggressive. As Thomas makes his way to the scene, his plan hits a snag when the police stop him passing through an area, and in the stables, Lizzie is sexually assaulted. Thomas storms in late with a pistol, but it jams as he fires and a fistfight breaks out, with Thomas coming second best. The field marshal begins to gouge his eye out when suddenly Thomas manages to push the marshal's own pistol away. It fires and puts a bullet through the skull of the field marshal. Thomas fires the gun into the air, leaves and informs officers a soldier is lying dead, causing the diversion the blinders have been waiting for. The Peaky Blinders take Sabini's race pitches by force. A short time later, Thomas welcomes Sabini to a seat at his table. He breaks the news that his blinder crew are burning Sabini's licences as they speak and adds that Sabini made a mistake breaking a promise to Alfie and that's why the Peaky Blinders and the Jewish gangs are back in business. Sabini stands and breaks a bottle, preparing to attack Thomas when police burst in. In a surprising twist, they grab Thomas and drag him out, leading him to a van and declaring him a prisoner of the Ulster Volunteer Force. The van departs, leaving only Thomas's cap on the ground. Elsewhere, May approaches Grace, introduces herself as his horse trainer. The meeting's pretty frosty and ends as Grace reminds May that the horse was named after her. Campbell's on the phone getting the story of events straight with Churchill when Polly approaches. She enters the booth and draws a gun. He suggests she wouldn't shoot him in such a public place, but she reminds him that all the police are around the king. He attempts to talk his way out, but revenge is served when she pulls the trigger, leaving him dying on the floor as she strolls away.
In the aftermath of the day, John comforts Lizzie under the false belief she was working to make a few extra quid. Arthur begins to question where Thomas is. Cut to the back of the van. It comes to a stop and the doors swing to an open landscape of quiet countryside, three men and a ready-dug grave. Calm, Thomas appears resigned to his fate and asks for a cigarette. He talks about Grace, who he loves, in a mix of acceptance and anger that he got so close to having everything. He drops to his knees, readying himself for death, when one of his executioners suddenly shoots the other two men dead. He states to a shocked Thomas that at some point in the future Mr Churchill will want to speak to him about a job. Thomas walks and stumbles from the scene in disbelief that he's still breathing. Shocked tears run down his face as the execution scene fades behind him. A celebration's underway. Drink flows as Arthur holds court, toasting the Peaky Blinders in their unstoppable march. At the office, Michael lets Thomas know that he wants to stay a part of the business and make some real money. And Thomas informs Michael that he is planning to get married. Thanks for listening. Hope it's been helpful. Listen, if you've enjoyed this, I would love it if you subscribed. We've got loads more shows where this came from and we'd love you to join us for them. A five-star review wherever you get your podcasts from would also be absolutely fantastic. If you've got any feedback or ideas for a show that we should be covering, we'll almost certainly be doing the big ones, but you never know, there may be others that we've missed. Let us know. I'd love to hear from you over on Twitter. You can find us at Previous Podcast or just email us hello at previouslyon.co.uk. Previously On is presented by Jamie East and is a Daft Doris production. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.